Hi, folks, and welcome to Chewing the Fat. I'm Leland Whitehouse with the Yale Sustainable Food Project. Today in the studio, uh, we have an awesome guest who I was lucky enough to run into this weekend at the YSFP's 10th anniversary celebration. Min Yi is the co-owner and uh, COO of Smorgas Chef Restaurant Group, which runs a handful of high-end restaurants and creperies in New York City uh, and also a catering operation. Smorgas Group also runs Blenheim Hill Farm in the Catskills to make sure their customers are getting fresh food and uh, that they know where it's coming from. So, Min, thanks so much for coming in. Sure. It's a pleasure to be back on campus. You bet. You're a Yaley. Yes. Um, I uh, graduated in 1995. I majored in economics. And I was in Saybrook. Nice. Yes. And haven't been back for a little while. Huh? It's been a, a few years. Yeah, the last your, time was four visits. years ago, also for a panel on food and entrepreneurship. Nice. Well, we're happy to keep tapping you to come back and talk about food. That's Absolutely. It keeps happening. Um, so... I have the sense that Smorgas Chef restaurants are mostly working in Scandinavian cuisine. Is that right? Yes, um, that that's so far been the focus. Uh, but after we have uh, built the farm, Blenheim Hill Farm, we're actually uh, very close to opening a brand new restaurant named after the farm. Mm. It's going to be called Blenheim Hill Farm, and it's going to be in the West Village neighborhood of Manhattan. And the focus there will be what we call grown to order. Mm-hmm. We grow our own um, produce in our hydroponic greenhouse, and we have our own livestock. So the menu will be uh, composed of mostly ingredients from our own farm, and it won't be as much Nordic and Scandinavian focused. Got it. So, and can you get? I mean, I don't have any sense at all of. Nordic or Scandinavian food that has never made it onto my radar. Yeah. What um, What are some of the like keystone ingredients and dishes there? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the um, uh, Noma is it was the voted one of the world's best restaurants for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So most people know about Nordic cuisine from knowing Noma and the chef Rene Redzepi, and. The principle of Nordic food is to forage and look in your own backyard, Mm. finding ingredients uh, to work with. Because um, Nordic countries, they have extremely harsh weather, very long winter seasons. So they have to be creative in using the kind of ingredients that they can find, unlike some other Mediterranean countries or countries that that have abundant food, so um, so we that is the principle of Nordic cuisine. But what we have in our uh, smorgas Scandinavian restaurants, we are not taking it to that kind of extreme, uh, experimenting with food like the way Noma and Rene Redzepi does. But rather we we focus on more the classic and traditional uh, Nordic food like the. Uh, Gravlax um, cured with uh, dill and aquavit. Um, Gravlax? Yeah, it's cured salmon. Oh, right on. Yeah. And Swedish meatballs, um, we make it using our own uh, heritage pork and grass-fed beef. And we also have herring and uh, lots of great salads. Um, we, uh, We have our own lamb from the farm. It's Icelandic lamb. And we also have uh, great salads, um, 
that's grown in our greenhouse. We have a proprietary <laughs> blend and mix, uh, which has uh, like 20 different herbs and uh, greens have extraordinary flavors. What so, a treat to mm-hmm. be able to to control exactly the ingredients you get to use, because I imagine that there aren't a ton of um, these sort of traditional ingredients kicking around the New York area. Awesome to be able to grow your own stuff. How did the Blenheim Hill mm-hmm. uh, farm come about? I, wh- where did that um, idea start, and how did it work its way into this? Well, um, we have always um, had an interest in growing our own um, produce. Before the Blenheim Hill farm, which is a 150-acre farm, which is a big in Denver, we actually had a smaller farm, just six acres, also in the Catskills for almost 10 years before that. So we were growing herbs and uh, vegetables and tomatoes in, in the fields, but on a very small scale. But when we have uh, grown our restaurant operation from one location to now uh, six locations, we felt that we were ready to uh, engage in this bigger undertaking. So we acquired the land that had some infrastructure on it. There was a beautiful barn and pristine forests and quite a few areas of pasture. So, But we really invested in um, all these other components like the hydroponic greenhouse, because there isn't a whole lot of great soil to work with in the Catskills region. It's too rocky, so we decided to grow hydroponically, which means that you rely on the channels of water that's filled with nutrients rather than soil. Um, um, And then we also acquired different heritage breeds uh, of livestock that are, they are able to live outdoors in winter all year long because the Catskills weather is also pretty harsh. Mm -hmm. So... So that's sort of been the process of um, building up the farm. It's we are entering into our fourth year, so and it's very diversified and enormous fun. I'll bet. Yeah. yeah. How has that um, changed some mm-hmm. of the like logistics and economics of running these restaurant groups? I'm sure it's changed your sourcing in a huge way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know it can be hard to make a farm you've purchased profitable. That's sort of a notorious difficulty about acquiring new land. Yes. How has that uh, you know, changed the way things are working in the yeah. Tomorrow's Group? It's a very good question um, uh, because um, the farm, um, we all keep saying that we want the farm to be sustainable. Now, on its own, the farm is currently still not yet break-even. But however, we look at it as part of the big puzzle. The whole restaurant group Essentially, it's vertically integrated. We grow our own ingredients for the menu. And as a result, we're able to do a lot more experimentation. We grow very exotic, interesting greens that other farmers may not be able to grow because they're afraid that they can't count on their the bulk of their volume. Yeah, you guys can count on yourselves to buy your stuff, I'll bet. That's, <laughs> that's right. So, And then the restaurants the surplus in the restaurants will help fund the farm, which then um, will, you know, justify its own cause. And plus, as a whole, we're able to produce healthier and tastier food and also educate our customers that it is possible to 
to do small-scale farming the way we do, and and they they see the food on the plate. They they love the difference. So, um, how much? I'm sure it's growing, mm-hmm. but uh, I imagine it would be hard to totally supply all these restaurants with just the the farm. How much? Um, how much of what you guys are serving is coming from the farm? Are you trying to beef that up or sort of happy yeah. where it's at? Well, um, we it it is slow coming because we are working with nature. Um, this season, we're actually going to harvest our first cow ever, Lily, who was born on on oh, our nice. farm. But it takes two years for a cow to grow t- to its maturity, and it, it's. Um, so, but we are, whatever we can, um, supply our restaurants with, we will try to buy and source from other local farms. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of great partnerships with neighboring farms in the Catskills. And now the reason that, uh, we, one of the reasons we're opening up this new restaurant, uh, Blenheim Hill Farm is so that we can allow that restaurant to, uh, feature, the, the farm ingredients because right now when it's spread out over five six restaurants it's hard to to get the impact mm-hmm. but but with one restaurant specifically focusing on that I think we're able to have a more interesting menu and more creative well and then yeah. I bet you can the menu can change as the farm changes and as what's coming off the farm changes and yes that's actually exactly what's happening um, the chef and the farmers um, they have a very close dialogue chef would um, give his wish list on what he would like to see grown for the menu. And our farmers will um, take the wish list and do the best they can with the nature that we have to work with. So as a result, we, we have so many interesting ingredients that's coming. And, and you'll get to experience that in the new restaurant. Right on. Yeah. Um, so backing up a little yeah. bit, uh, could you just explain what a restaurant group does what that what that means how what that is as an entity i understand that you know you have a number of restaurants you're running in new york mm-hmm. city yeah um they're that kind of uh group i know exists all over the country in very different iterations yeah. uh, does that consist mostly of you and your husband's name is morton is that right yes morton solberg yes um, you mean uh, the ownership structure and the organization structure, or? Yeah, I guess I guess so. That's a um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, we are lucky enough that we've been able to grow our business organically over the years. Um, we funded the first op- uh, restaurant on our own, and it was a success. And as a result, uh, we were able to build our second and third, and and so on and so forth just pretty much with a, without taking on investors. So, so far, we are the two owners. And uh, by having more and more entities within the group, we're actually able to have economies of scales. So I'm able to hire more people. For instance, we have a driver dedicated for the group that drives the produce from the farm to the restaurants, which um, solves a big transportation problem, which I think a lot of farmers and restaurants have. Uh, we have a corporate um, bookkeeping accounting function and uh, design and marketing. And so there are a lot of things that are done on a corporate level. And we also have a very busy catering uh, arm. 
uh, we've done very high-end big gala dinners. Uh, they're not only uh, very good promotion for the for the group, but also very profitable. Uh, that's a nice thing. So, uh, so when you have several entities under the group, I think it allows you to uh, have more even cash flow. If one business is slower, chances are some other businesses are busy at the time. And then so overall, you have much more stability. We're able to provide our staff which, uh, with uh, you know, good jobs that have good financial returns. So I don't know if that No, that totally answers the, Yeah, it was a potentially right. poorly phrased question. But I, um, and I can only imagine being in the middle of the New York restaurant scene as a totally could be a totally hectic community to be a part of. How much mm-hmm. is that a, a community of people and what's it like being a part of that? I know you were, we'll talk a little later about you have been in finance and in business in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the New York restaurant world like? That's a big question, but. Um, well, it is pretty hectic. It's uh, There are new restaurants opening all the time. Uh, there are restaurants failing all the time. Um, so in order to um, stay competitive, I think that you you have to stand by your principles. And, and also you really have to have the passion and love for what you do. So in our case, um, we, we have the farm and we've worked very hard in producing fresh and healthy food. And our customers see that. They feel that. They feel the difference. And also, as an, uh, a group, we continue to grow, which is very important. Um, a lot of restaurateurs, they're happy just having, if one entity is working, they're happy just collecting the paychecks and and let it run, which which there's nothing wrong with it, but, but that's not how we work. We like to continue to expand and grow. Um, in terms of people, are you also talking about guests and the events that go on? Or Yeah, I guess I imagine there being yeah. events and restaurant openings and this sort of like mm-hmm. uh, complicated relationship between being on the same team and being in intense competition with one another. But maybe I'm, I'm imagining that. Right. Actually, um, oftentimes uh, restaurant owners, they're very friendly with each other because um, it's this... Manhattan is so populated that, you know, if you have the good product, you always have customers. So it's very rare that one restaurant will say that, well, he's taking away my customers. So so you see actually far more collaboration. I think partially maybe because within our space, we don't have as many um, competition or actually it, it, the space is getting more crowded as we speak. But um, I believe that, you know, competition sometimes is also good in the sense that people, the customers, they, they find something to associate with and they put you in, in the same group as somebody else. And they, you know, they may come to you because they have heard of another good restaurant that they thought is similar to you. Or, so it's, it's not necessarily unhealthy. <laughs> good to hear. Yeah. Um, and I, I know traditionally um, the restaurant and chef world has been a very male yes. scene. Mm-hmm. Um, is that still the case? Is that changing? And how does that, um, how has that impacted your experience in the 
chef and restaurant. Um, it is still uh, the scene, but with I'm happy to say that within our organization, we have pretty much an equal um, split between male and female uh, managers and chefs. Uh, for the new restaurant, for instance, our uh, executive chef, he's a male. Uh, he's one of the best chefs uh, rated uh, for 2013. And But his sous chef is a female. She's extremely capable, and she also does pastry and lots of other things. So, uh, And same, same thing with our management team. We have a couple of uh, female managers. They run very successful locations, and then uh, male managers. But I think me as a, as a woman, because that comes up a lot too, um, I sometimes find it to be uh, a little bit of an advantage to, to be a woman because it's easier to deliver a message without being confrontational. And um, I don't know if um, being the owner, I also get away with certain things, but I like to think of myself as, as being very fair, and uh, I work very hard, and people know that we care. We care about our staff and, and the business, and I think that's the most important. Yeah. Um, so to move I'll back in time here, you left Yale, mm-hmm. and like so many other brilliant Yale minds, studied econ and went to Wall Street and yeah. uh, worked in finance there for a while mm-hmm. um, and then started this uh, an online design college. Yeah. Can you talk just about like what was driving the decision to work in finance and how you left finance for uh, education? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, how this all, and came, it'll all came about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, Actually, I I was born and raised in Shanghai, China. So Yale was my first move to the States. But it was was a beautiful place for me to settle into. I was surrounded by brilliant people, like you said, and everybody was helpful, even though my English wasn't as fluent as it is today. Uh, But um, I chose economics uh, because um, it was a field where um, I was very strong in numbers, but at the same time, I feel that it had a strong connection socially. So, and then just like a lot of the graduating seniors now at Yale, uh, banks, consulting firms, those were some of the biggest recruiters on campus at the time. So, and New York City was a big draw for me because Shanghai was a big city. So I I uh, worked for Lehman Brothers and then uh, UBS, uh, their Warburg Dillon Reed Investment Banking Division. So I spent a number of years doing corporate finance, which uh, helped me build up a very good foundation of just spreadsheets, modeling, understanding companies. And the deal size was, I think the average size was like 200 million. So it was helpful to see a lot of big deals traveling around the country. Um, and then uh, I met, uh, at a Jewish wedding, I met my husband, who is from Norway, um, and he was a designer slash design professor at Parsons at the time, but also an entrepreneur. So he was uh, setting up an online university at the time and asked me if I would join. Uh, I was looking at my job, well-paid Wall Street job, and uh 
I didn't make the move right away. But when we were having our first child, um, I had some extra time. So I, I was helping him raise money. Now, when we closed on the first round, by the time I was done with my maternity leave, I decided that was the right time to quit my full-time job and join the, join in. So we jointly run the company and grew it from one student from South Korea to like 100,000 students from over 100 countries. So that was uh, that was a really good run for a few years. Yeah. And and now it's food and cooking and farms, right? Um, which is. Maybe not the most predictable traditional path from that part of New York to the yeah. food world. How, um, How did that, that develop? come about? Yeah. yeah. So we um, we sold the design business back to the investor group. Um, we didn't uh, make that much money, but enough to start our next project. And we chose the restaurant industry because we were both, we love food. I actually took classes at French culinary after Yale because I, I love to cook, and, and we had our uh, little penthouse um, in, in a loft building down in the financial district where we had a huge garden, and we always had friends over. So we thought, okay, banking, uh, online business, these were all so office-based. You know, let's, let's get down to the streets and work with the colorful people and, you know, just... Uh, so it's it's just a, such a change from what we used to do. And we didn't know what we were getting into because neither me nor my husband had prior restaurant business experience. But we learned quickly and we um, we made our own mistakes, fair share of mistakes. But we we hired good people. And over the years, like I explained earlier, one restaurant led to the next and then so on, so forth. So. Do you think the mm-hmm. the way you guys are thinking about um, your restaurants as a group and the, yeah. the sort of the, uh, the you know hedging your bets there and diversifying your exposure and that kind of thing mm-hmm. is that uh, any kind of a direct fallout of your financial history that you, you know there there are other restaurateurs who are just collecting paychecks from their mm-hmm. restaurants are you do you think you think differently as yes. a restaurant group than the, your your peers do? I think we do. Uh, our inexperience is somehow actually an advantage in some ways. I was quite cautious from day one and was running the business very with a lot of discipline because that was how I was trained. So, um, And also, because we didn't have experience in the restaurant industry, we started a restaurant with no basement and just one fridge and freezer, which means... Everything that comes in that day is all sold by the end of the day. So food is always fresh. There's never any uh, waste or theft or, you know, all these problems that other people, other restaurants may be struggling with. Inventory becomes easy. So so, um, so that may be an advantage. And then also um, just ongoing. Uh, one of our brands is uh, the Crepery. Uh, which is fast, casual. It's still very high-end because we use buckwheat flour and uh, organic eggs from our farm. But it's it's a completely different economic model altogether that, but, you know, that diversifies the operating income stream as well. Yeah. Um, and just to wrap up here, mm-hmm. I, we like to give guests a chance to 
plug anything they're excited about, like a book you're working on or reading or an event coming up or like a new kind of vegetable you've run into? Anything to plug or endorse? Yeah. Um, well, the um, I'm quite excited about the the new uh, plants that we're growing in our in our greenhouse. Um, it's uh, this plant that's called borage. Uh, it tastes like cod liver oil. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny the other day. We it, it was growing so well, so and it has purple flowers. So I tasted it, and. I said, oh, it must be my uh, salmon eggs benedict this morning. <laughs> I, how come I have this flavor in my mouth? And then it was confirmed that indeed that that was what it's known for. So so it, that's sort of, you know, what we deal with every day is experimenting with uh, new uh, ingredients and, and how it would work with the food. And everything we grow is healthy. You take a basket into the farm, you collect eggs and vegetables and, and you have, you know, heritage pork in your freezer and you make the food that same day. I just, our, my perspective on, on food is just so different. We, we don't go to the supermarket when I'm out at my farm. So, so I, I that's an exciting yeah. change. I think that with the spring coming, I would encourage uh, everybody to go and plant in their gardens and in the Yale farm and just explore. And, and you will find, you know, the food tastes so much better. Well, thank you so much for coming in today, Min. And uh, we hope to see you again soon at, the, at Yale and at the farm. Yes. And around town. Yes. Thank you for having me here. You bet. All right. Come back for Chewing the Fat. I will. <laughs>